This is one special guy. He's, he's one of the greats. I'm, I'm serious. Um, seems like a lot of you know that, and I, I can tell you why. One, one of the reasons. Well, because he's a son of the king. That's the main reasons why. But um, Jim is one of these guys who has this deep passion in his heart that he's alive for a specific reason, and he, he refuses to let go of the passion. He, he just, all of us, we, we can, you know, all of us have passion at times, and then it's easy to kind of wander and stray. And I'm not saying Jim doesn't have his down days, because we have coffee, I've heard. But let me tell you something. He, in the depth of his heart, he knows there's no other options, and he is making a huge huge difference in this valley in the bay area region and impacting the world by what he's doing with the house of prayer and so i am just so so proud of you jim and thank god for you i've I've known jim for a lot of years and uh, and i know that i know that he has um this this character the character of christ that just genuine love for people so when he gets up here with real passion in a moment don't be scared because he could be intense, but it's the real deal. And uh, he always fires me up every time he comes. So I told him, Jim, you have permission to do what you want here. Um, so why don't we go ahead and take an offering. And uh, again, this is just going to go to bless Jim and Leslie and their boys. Um, just for all that they've been pouring out for years of this night and day prayer that they have been uh, pioneering in this region. So go ahead and we'll, we'll pass those around. And uh, gosh, Jim, now that I did that and we have offering, am I just going to say more good things about you? I, I could. I have a lot to say. Uh, <laughs> do you have any announcements? Okay. All right. Well, I'm, I'm actually then, while we're taking the offering, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask, would... Joel, would you find one other strong person to bring that up here with you? And, uh, oh, right down here. Oh, look at that strong person and that strong person. Thank you, guys. Perfect. Okay. So um, I'm, tell you what, I don't know if Jim's going to pray, but I want to pray first. So um, just for a moment, just stop, stop the offering just for a minute, and we're going to just just open your hearts Open your hands and say, Holy Spirit, (laughs) I want all that you have for me tonight through Jim in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's welcome Jim Stillwell. Thank you. Thank you, Brent Locker. I love you. fellow Cowboy fan. We're playing the Niners the first week of the season. I'm with you in this. I like being here with you guys. It's so good to see a lot of familiar faces. We started the prayer room eight years ago this September. And um, when March 13th, 14th, 15th rolls around, I'm, I'm always remembering eight years ago when Brent allowed me to come and speak to Blazing Fire when you guys were just a few miles down the road here, still in Pleasanton. 
And the Lord just moved mightily and gave birth to a house of prayer in this region that has given Jesus worship and adoration and intercession. And I'm so encouraged to be here tonight with you because so many of you are still adoring the Lord in the house of prayer and have. And those of you that have over the years, I am, I am extremely blessed and extremely grateful for how you have sown into the house of prayer. And the Lord's raising up a prayer movement in the earth. It's not all that he's doing. And it's just not one group of people that's going to usher in the great move of God that we're longing to see because we're seeing a move of God now, currently. Yet at the same time, we're promised so much more. And it's not just one group of people that are going to do that. It's the body of Christ together. When we stand before the throne, Jesus won't look down and say, hey, you, it was your prayer that brought the breakthrough. We're all offering up so much prayer and doing the work of the kingdom that it's just all going to go together and we're just going to not care who did what. But he's bringing us to that point. And he's working in all of our hearts to that point. But the Lord's raising up a prayer movement right now in the earth. We've been going at it for about eight years. Some other places have been going at it. When I say doing it, I mean around the clock, night and day, that we know about. And I know people have been praying for years and years. And I don't want to, I'm not here to steal anyone's glory. But there's a, a, there's a real, it's a real signpost in the earth right now. More than wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes. The signpost that Jesus is getting ready to come back is that he's raising up prayer like never before. We're, we're standing at that door. We're, we're at that threshold. And one of the signs of that is when God begins to raise up night and day prayer and begin to turn people's hearts toward prayer. And we're in that moment right now. It's what he's, what he's doing in the earth. It's the way that he's going to split the heavens. I love tonight as Sierra was singing, Behold, he's coming through the clouds. I don't know if that's exactly what she was singing, but I just latched onto that, and I'm like, that's what we're living for. We have no idea what begins to take place when Jesus splits the clouds and comes back. Talk about revival. We're just kind of eating on peanuts right now. And we got to get a big vision for that, for the Lord splitting the sky. Yet he's not going to come back just, oh, he's back tonight. He's coming back in response to a bride that's praying him back and through worship. Revelation twenty two seventeen, the spirit and the bride say, come. We're not telling him to go from heaven. We're on the earth saying, come, come be with us. And that's what the prayer movement is about, the worship and prayer movement. Again, it's not connected just to, to one people group or just a little segment in the body of Christ. It's, it happened in here tonight. It happened in here tonight as we worship and we give the Lord adoration our songs become cries. Our, our songs become prayer. It's massive. It's powerful. That he wants to respond to us. It's, I want you to, I'm going to say 15 other things tonight. And I'm not even going to preach on this. This is like an extra. But you need to get a vision for your own personal prayer life. Because it's connected to corporate prayer. And he partners with us in the place of prayer. That place that seems so dull at times and boring. 
because we don't see him and we don't see the prayers answered in a time frame. All that stuff is so normal. I, I, I wrestle through this and I've been at it for longer than eight years, but eight years every day of my life saying, I'm giving myself to this because I believe that you will partner with me and you will partner with others and you will split the sky and come back and rule and reign on the earth because we will not have peace on the earth until Jesus' feet are on soil. Today I was over at 24-hour fitness, moving my fat body on the treadmill. (laughs) At a level two. So it was more like, you know, everybody else would walk it and I'm running it, thinking I'm breaking records. (laughs) And I'm watching CNN, Wolf Blitzer. Whatever, I like Wolf. Anyway, and I'm watching all the story about the Middle East. And we've all seen it for years. As long as all of us have been alive, it's been happening in Israel, in the Middle East. And there's not going to be any peace there until Jesus' feet are on the soil in Jerusalem. And who's he looking to to bid him to come? Us, his bride, his people, the church, through prayer and through the works of the kingdom and what we do and what he's called us to do. Prayer is not for the back room, excuse me, weird intercessors. (laughs) I is one. (laughs) The Lord is recovering the sanctuary of the church to be places of prayer and not just meetings. Man, I could just keep going forever, but I'm not. I'm stopping there. Do what you want to do with that and ask the Lord what, what's happening there. But he fills us with his spirit so we can actually talk to him. Because we would never talk to him without his spirit in us prompting that. Do you how much, realize how much help is available to you? I love dull conversations with God. I love it when I have nothing to say to him because I go, uh. And then he begins to help me by the spirit. I don't want to do that on my own. I don't want to be spiritual on my own. I don't want to forgive on my own. I don't want to love on my own. I don't want to be generous on my own. I don't want to be here tonight on my own, if I'm honest. But because his spirit is in us, he says, I will help you. The dullest heart, I will help. I I am so unafraid now of how dull I feel in my heart, other than I don't like it. But I don't, I'm not worried about it anymore because I go, Help. I'm dull today. I've got 10,000 things on my mind. Oh, but Jesus, you said you would help me. He goes, I will help you. My spirit is in you. That changes the conversation. He's raising up priests. And even that whole understanding, you know, that makes sense to some and others were like, priests? If you would have told me that years ago, I'm like, No, I'm not wearing a collar. Although I have thought about it recently, just to have fun with people when I go to McDonald's. I can. I I got reverend by my name. I could get a collar and go get a Big Mac and see what happens with everybody. I just don't want that kind of pressure on myself. Can you imagine that? Hey, Father, hey, Father. I'd be like, "I, I don't know how to do that. Of course, I could take some stuff and do that with people. That'd be fun. 
He's raising up priests. You're a royal priesthood. But I don't want to talk about that tonight. That's turn to Exodus 33. I can't help but talk a little bit about prayer. I want, I want you to get stirred up and hope at the end of the night you're stirred up to get a vision for your own prayer life. Because on, on a serious note, unless you're actively engaged in a conversation with the Lord Jesus, there's so much pressure coming on the earth along with great power and glory, we may not, we, we may not survive it. Seriously. Ask him to help you. Begin to engage with him when you feel dull. So, Father, tonight I ask that you would open a door for the word to go forth with power, for a spirit of glory to rest on our heart and our mind, to take thoughts, even Bible verses that we've heard before, and open our hearts with the spirit of revelation. Unveil the man Jesus to our hearts. Unveil the mystery of Christ to our hearts tonight and give us a personal vision to be those that run after you, that pursue you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Exodus chapter 33. Pretty familiar passage. If you've been around believers or heard preachers, Exodus 33. Moses and the Lord are having a conversation. Verse 17. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight. And I know you by name. And Moses said, and he said, Please show me your glory. Verse 19, then he said, the Lord said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And then he goes on to say, but you cannot see my face for no man shall see me and live. Then if you jump down to chapter 34, verse 1 and 2, because I want to connect these two together tonight on this first point. The Lord said to Moses, cut two tablets of stone like the first ones, and I will write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. So Moses was kind of in trouble a little bit, but he stayed persistent before the Lord. I'm so glad that the Lord has answers when I go a different direction than what he wanted me to, aren't you? I love that. I love that he has got everything covered when I make a right turn when he said, should have went left. Ah, Lord, I went right. Because I thought right was better. He goes, I know. You usually think right's better. But I really like you. So I've provided another way. Verse 2. So be ready. So be ready in the morning. And come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself to me there on the top of the mountain. I'm bad at titles for messages. I just want to call everything Jesus! Exclamation point. 
and throw some Bible verses out and we'll get around it. But I was thinking tonight, in light of Exodus 33, verse 17, God says, you have found grace in my sight. And then it prompted Moses to do something. So I want to call us tonight to participate with the grace of God in our lives. You could say it this way. Let's participate with the favor of God in our lives. And then I thought about this title. Now I'm coming up with all kinds of them. Sometimes I do that with the Lord. I go, what do you want me to call this? (laughs) That's sometimes my conversation. What do you want me to call this? And then we get to talk about other things about him. And then I thought, the demand of grace. And I thought, well, that could be controversial. I like that too. (laughs) The demand of grace. And say it scowling. And everybody's like, what? (laughs) But grace is free. Totally. Totally. So, you know, I believe that grace is totally free. And grace does not demand anything. Grace does not demand. Grace does not demand that I love him. Grace does not demand that I read the Bible. Grace does not demand that I fast, that I give generously with my finances. And yet, grace is so good, it does demand something from me. But not because I have to earn anything from him. Grace is so phenomenal, it puts a demand on me to go, what can I give to you? So you pick one of three titles tonight. The demand of grace, (laughs) participating with his grace, or participating with his favor. Whatever you like. I can't believe it's come to this, where preachers are giving people three choices of a title of a sermon (laughs) so that you can move through it tonight. Whatever you want, let's just go for it. We want him tonight. There are two things that God takes very serious. Well, there's hundreds probably, but two tonight. (laughs) His name and you and I being ready. For when he's ready to do something. When I look at these passages that we've just read tonight, that's what comes to my mind. And you guys have kind of caught me in this type of season. This is the season that I'm in a bit right now with the Lord. I've been kind of locked into these seven verses or so, whatever we've read. Just a season in my own life. Moses, talking to the Lord... Verse 17, he says, I will do this because you found grace in my sight. And something, I believe, sparked inside of Moses' heart that he's like, now this is getting personal because the Lord said to Moses, you have found grace in my sight or favor. And I will do what you're asking me to do, which was really a prayer intercession for for the people of Israel to be known as God's people. Moses didn't want to march around with some mandate and vision without having the presence of God resting on the people that he was walking with. And you can read the chapter and see that. He's like, I'm not interested in just being a club. I want the power and the presence of God with us. And so there's an engagement of our hearts. There's something of participation that you and I do when we recognize that God says, 
you found grace in my sight. Because God doesn't da- dance with statues. Right? He doesn't dance with statues that aren't involved in the dance with him. In other words, saying, God just does it all. It's all finished. He's done it. He doesn't dance with statues. Now, when I dance, I represent a statue often. I've been to a couple weddings this summer. My wife and my kids know how to move, and I'm kind of like the guy. It's the worst, you know? Michael Jackson comes on. I want to, you know, move, and I'm like, it's terrible. My kids look at me, and they go, Dad, really? Hey, it's all I got. I'm from the 80s. Sorry, there's dancers in here from the 80s. But he wants us to engage with him. He wants us to get a personal vision. Even tonight when we're in here corporately lifting up adoration, singing of his beauty. He loves that, but he also wants you to have a personal vision for it. A personal vision to engage your heart with the grace and the favor that is upon you. Romans 5 verse 21. Paul the apostle said that sin reigned in death. But even so, grace might reign through Jesus Christ. Meaning, before we we had no ability to participate with grace. And now we do. And Moses understood that. And he said, wait a minute. If I have found favor and grace in your sight, then I'm going to engage with that. I'm not just going to sit back from afar. And that's where Moses begins to say to the Lord, he goes, if it's that way, then God, you show me your glory. Because this is what's happening. When I read this, I try to put myself in that conversation between the Lord and Moses. And God says, you found favor. And I know you by name, Moses. That means that God knew and knows everything about Moses. When you think of somebody's name in this room or a good friend, when you think of their name, you think about all that they are. Their name speaks to you something. Their name speaks to you of their personality, their emotional makeup, how they feel, how they think, what they like. Do they like cream in their coffee? Do they want cheese on their burger? Down to the the minute things. And God is saying, Moses, I know you by name. And I believe it sparks something in the heart of Moses to say, well then, God, you show me your name. Show me your glory. Because when we talk about glory and name and beauty, it's all interchangeable. We participate in the grace of God by stirring ourselves up to discover his beauty. I don't want to just sing about it, even though I love it, and I'm grateful that we can. I want to go on a discovery of it. I don't want to leave it in the song. I want to go find it out. You know, sometimes I get tired of listening to some worship music. Anybody else like that? Don't, you don't have to confess that. <laughs> don't do that. I'm the one who's, I'll be vulnerable tonight, and you can... Do whatever with it. But sometimes I'm going down the road and I go, no, I don't want to hear them sing about this anymore. You're like, well, that's harsh. I'm like, no, because I want it real in my life. 
And yet I love them. And I always want to, I want to hear it, but I get to the point where the Lord's like, is that enough for you? Is that doing it for you? Well, I got some goosebumps. I felt pretty good. Yeah, but is that doing it for you? When I said I would show you my name, that I would reveal my very personality to you, I would break it open in front of you through temptation, through pressure, through failure, through success. Is it just enough to hear somebody else talk about it? Or do you have a vision to root it out and go after it yourself? Well, if you're honest, Father, I want somebody else to break it open for me. Well, that's a problem. Because I'm trying to grow you up. We had a wonderful worship leader by the name of James Trumbo, who was our worship leader in a church that my wife and I were pastoring in the late 90s, early 2000s. And James is in heaven now. And... uh He used to always say this one-liner, God is going to grow us up before we go up. You ever heard that before? I know a few people might say it differently. That's what he's after. That's called being priests before the Lord. That's growing up into maturity with the Lord. He says, you stir yourself up to discover who I am. And so when I use the word beauty... It's almost kind of, we, we say it, we sing it, it's easy for us, but I've been thinking about it recently, this whole word of beauty, because on the front end, it's like, beauty of God, what? Uh, beauty? I, I don't really get it, and a lot of people don't understand it all the time, but you start saying glory, majesty, power, the name of God, the personality of God, you, all those words are interchangeable, so when I think of beauty, Of course, I'm thinking how magnificent he is, but I'm thinking, show me your name. Show me your personality. Show me who you are on the inside. Show me who you are at the core of your being, is what Moses was saying. It became personal with Moses. So much that in Psalm 90, verse 17, Moses said, let your beauty be upon us. Let your name be upon us, your glory, your majesty, your personality. Not just let us know about it, let us wear it. Let us wear the glory. Let us wear the name of God. Let us wear the beauty of God. Next to Psalm 132, which is David's cry for God to rest on a geographical location, which is what the house of prayer is about, We want God to rest in our region. That's why we're doing what we do. That's why we've answered this call to do it around the clock. Next to that teaching, for me, in my opinion, this subject, the beauty of God, is probably the most important for believers and followers of Christ to study, to become students of. Because it talks about his personality. It touches every area of our life. God's beauty is about how he feels and thinks and acts. When we begin to discover who he is, it kind of gets us up into reality. What's relevant? It causes us to live holy. It causes us to set our lives towards something that is more real than all of us in this room, even though we're extremely real to the Lord. He's like, Come and discover my beauty. Ask me to show you my glory. 
And when we think about this, it's really to break it down so that we can bring it down to more applicable. It's how he feels and thinks and acts. When I was a youth pastor in Sacramento, early 1990s, I started to to pursue the Lord in this way with Revelation chapter 4. And Revelation chapter 4 is crazy language. Rainbows and thunder and smoke and lightning. I'm like, I, I don't know about that. How about Jesus with the lamb? I don't want to do the throne and the rainbow and the thunder and lightning and smoke. But as I began to give myself to Revelation chapter 4 and make it conversation. Now I'm talking about your personal prayer life right now. Engaging with God to discover who he is. You go through three or four verses in Revelation chapter 4. Begins to break down his personality. Begins to break down his emotional makeup toward human beings. What's happening around the throne tonight. For instance, everything that God does is surrounded by a a rainbow of mercy. Everything that he allows in my life and your life, I know because this is who he is. His name, his glory, his beauty, his personality. It's all surrounded by a rainbow of mercy. There is nothing that comes my way that's not surrounded by mercy. That's why when we pray, a good prayer is God, have mercy. Because his mercy endures forever. In fact, that's a very common prayer for me. A few moments ago, I mentioned I don't have a lot to say some days. Sometimes it's God, have mercy on me. God, have mercy on my marriage. Have mercy on my kids. Have mercy on the people that I love. That's not a negative prayer. He can't help but go, he's asking for mercy. He's asking for something that he doesn't deserve. I deserve justice. He gives mercy. It's who he is. And so he's like, I love that prayer. That's not a pauper prayer. That's not a widow prayer of somebody that's not married to the Lord. That's a prayer that understands his name. God, give me mercy. He's like, yeah. I'll give you mercy. I love to show mercy. When we realize that God's moved toward us with real emotions, it changes who we are on the inside. It changes who we are. And that was the invitation. I think the grace that God was letting Moses in on was... Come and ask me about who I am. The reason I'm in this season right now is because, like I said earlier, eight years in September is when we started the House of Prayer. And over that journey, the Lord has blessed us immensely. He's, I like to use the word, the Lord has kissed us in so many ways. And just as I'm looking around this room tonight, I see so many people that have come in and out of that prayer room when we were at Parkway uh, uh, Fellowship with Pastor David Kim, and even when we were in Danville, and even now some of you are coming in over to Livermore, and you've sewn into it. And for eight years, we've been doing it, and our schedule has gone so many hours to the point where we were giving the Lord 24-hour worship five days a week for three years. Uh, Some of you know that, and some of you don't. I'm only saying it, even if you weren't here, I would just say it before the angels and the demons, that it's a reality in our region. 
20, night and day prayer is a reality in the region. I'm really disconnected from it of rah-rah, yippee. I don't really care about that. <laughs> I really live with these, ha- these have to be happening in every city of the earth. And probably there need to be multiple 24-hour prayer rooms in every city of the earth. Really, that's what I really believe. I really do believe that. But when we first started, one of the themes that we really took up was this thing of the beauty of God. And so we would spend hours singing about the beauty of God, the name of God, the majesty of God, the glory of God, the personality of God. We would sing Bible verses about it. And some days our teams would look at each other when we would sing those verses. Somebody would read a Bible verse about his glory or majesty or power. And some of the singers wouldn't know what to sing. We look at each other and go, let's sing how he loves us. (laughs) Let's fall back on what we know. Why? Is that bad? No, it's because his glory and majesty and personality is unsearchable. I never want to get familiar with it. I want to reach for language that describes who he is. And that's what Moses was saying. But you have to get a personal vision for that because that's what you were created for. That's what you were created for. It wasn't for this side of the congregation to have it or somebody that looks, somebody in a meeting, wherever we are, that looks like they have it. And we're sitting over there going, I don't really have it, but they got it. Go talk to them. God's like, no. This is not, that's not what this is about. Every person I've invited in by the grace of God to discover the beauty so that their emotional chemistry changes. This is, is so key in my own marriage, in my own life with my children, with people. I'm not good at figuring out one, two, three, how to avoid an argument. I'm not that good at it. I'm not good at principles that way. I'm like, Lord, I am so ticked right now. I want to throw chairs out the front door, which I've done before. I am so angry right now. I'm afraid right now. I don't know if there's going to be enough. I don't know if you're enough. That makes me angry that I don't think you're enough. And then I'm mad at myself for not thinking you're enough because I'm over here in this place. And the last week I sang the song that said, you're enough. And then over here this week, I'm like, you're not enough. I need inner healing. Which, my tender side, less intense, I'm all into inner healing. (laughs) I believe in it. I've sat for hours and had precious people inner heal me. (laughs) And I still have need of it, I'm sure. All seriousness. But when we started the prayer room, we knew that we have to build it not on issue prayers because there's so much stuff going on on the earth, not on prayers, God send revival, God send revival, God send revival because that's his business. It's coming. It's happening. More's coming. I mean, it's all going on. 
But we know there's big R revival coming, which is surrounded by a lot of tension and a lot of power, a lot of glory, a lot of crisis. But we knew that if we were going to engage our hearts with the Lord for hours during the daytime, we needed to engage with him and who he was. But that's true for your own life. When you're going through life, when you're angry, you want to throw things out the front door, you need inner healing. It's the beauty of God that begins to touch your emotions. I mean, I get upset when things don't fit in the dishwasher the right way. It's terrible. And Leslie's just learned to kind of leave me out there, or she just says, Go to bed. (laughs) But in my heart, it's not just about something not fitting in the dishwasher. I'm like, what's going on? And then by his kindness, he breaks in. He goes, you just don't know me like you want to. Or even the way you think you do. You know me. I've got you. I've apprehended you, Jimmy. See, that's what Paul, I believe he meant in Philippians 3. He goes, you've been apprehended. I love that language. I don't mind God wrestling around with me and grabbing me and going, come here. (laughs) I don't mind that at all because he's not angry. He's like, but I've apprehended you. Don't think you're getting out of my grasp so easily. That's the point. Don't you think you're getting out of my hold too quick. You're just angry. Need to repent. You need to repent to your wife, your kids, me. But the reason is you need to know who I am. If I can pause in that for a moment and think about, show me your glory. What's really going on? Who are you to me in this? My emotions begin to change. The reason we are to go on this discovery is because Jesus promised in Matthew 22... Verse 37, you will love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What he was saying was, the way that I'm telling you you will love me is the way I've loved you. But Jesus said, I love, I love you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the cross. That's the beating of the cross. That's the scourging of the cross. That's the commitment of walking the, the dusty road with the cross. He goes, I love you with everything in me, with all my thoughts, my affections, my emotions, my resources. He loved us with all of his resources. The Father sent Jesus. He became flesh. As we know, he became the God-man wearing flesh that he had no business wearing. All of his heart, soul, mind, and strength for you and me. Sit on that for a moment. It begins to change the way we think. I got to love him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I can't do that. And then you begin to think, wait a minute, that's how he loved me. So if I'm going to love him that way, then I need to know who he is. And I need to get a vision to go after it. We don't get this on the run. For some of us, we got to get focused. For me, when I realize things just kind of keep happening in my life, It's a good time. It's a good signal to go take inventory. What's happening? (laughs) Some changes I need to make. Second thing is this. He wants us to participate with the grace of God by waiting on him to make ourselves ready. 
Look at Exodus 34. Verse 1 and 2. Again, I just want to read it. The Lord said to Moses, Cut two tablets of stone like the first ones, and I will write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Here's the, here's the point. Verse 2. So be ready in the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai. Present yourself to me on the mountain. The Lord takes us through the process of waiting. There is a little story, maybe you've heard this before, a little is, humble Jewish man named Israel Schwartz. He asked Yahweh one day, is it true that for a thousand years, for you it's just a minute? The Lord replies to him, yes, Izzy, it's true. Is it also true that a million dollars is like a penny? To you? Yes, it's also true. Izzy put out his right hand with his palm turned up. He said, Yahweh, give me a penny. <laughs> Yahweh said, certainly, Izzy, it will only take a minute. I don't like that funny illustration. <laughs> God says, be ready in the morning, Moses. Now, again, it's a good conversation for you to have with this Bible verse with the Lord. But I'm looking at it even this afternoon, and I'm thinking there's got to be reasons that God was waiting to show Moses who he was. Because the day before, he's like, you know me by name? I want to know you by name. Let's get down to it right now. And the Lord could have went, okay. But no, he goes, you're not ready. What? That's what we see in the Bible. He goes, in the morning. So make yourself ready. Now for me, that means wait. No, I want glory now. I want that button that goes, glory now button, glory now button. The Lord says, no, you wait. Be ready in the morning. God doesn't settle his accounts on Friday afternoon. He doesn't. And he doesn't call you and I into account next Tuesday either. I'm so glad for that. But he doesn't settle his accounts on Fridays. That's how we operate with each other. Okay, I'll be here on Friday and you'll pay me the deal. We'll, we'll get to do the deal and the deal's done and yippee, we're all happy. But the Lord doesn't do business that way. The Lord does business different than I do and than you do. In fact, he leads completely opposite than the way we would. He really does. And when we think he does business the way we do, then that's idolatry making him in our image. And he says, no, I don't do business your way, Jimmy. But, it, but again, I like you. I really like you. And I'm going to sustain you. But I want you to wait and make yourself ready. That's the grace of God on a believer. The reason we don't like waiting so much is because we don't have the right definition of God's waiting. 
Usually when I think wait, it's like, okay, I'm waiting. And I'm waiting with something to come at the end, something that I want, something that I've been asking to happen. It's usually called I've got a string attached to the waiting. And it even sounds spiritual on the front end. What are you doing? I'm just waiting on God. Well, I'm waiting on God, and I've also got five other plans in the works. But I'm really waiting, and it's killing me. So would you pray for me? Because it sounds good. Again, he's wanting to mature us. He's wanting to grow us up. True priestliness is about waiting with no strings attached to the Lord. Simply waiting on him because he's worthy of it. That's so hard, right? Anybody else agree? I don't like it. Bad, bad. You don't know how long I've already been waiting, Lord. He goes, what? And it's not until we get into the waiting mode that all the stuff comes rising out of us. We fidget. You know what was getting ready to happen in Exodus 34? God was getting ready to preach God. Do you know that Jesus is getting ready to preach Jesus soon as he splits the sky? That's what we're in for. Everything we do is measured in time of eternity. This is an internship. I don't start my real job until Jesus is on the earth. You'll start your real job when he's back on the planet. Your eternal job. And how we lived here matters there because it's not like he's going to snap his fingers when he returns and it's just going to be Mufasa Simba land. I just, I love that. Lion comes back, you know, I mean, I mean, I just like the way it happened because, you know, it comes over, the water's running again after Scar and his hyenas just ruined everything. <laughs> Jesus is coming back and immediately he's going to assume leadership over every dominion of the earth. Not everyone knows his leadership tonight. Is he king tonight? Yes. Is everyone on the planet aware that Jesus Christ is king tonight? No. But when he splits the sky, it says in Revelation 11, 1 Corinthians 15, his feet will be coming back to the earth and every kingdom will become the kingdom of our Christ. That's when peace comes. There's going to be a lot of pressure and then it's going to get really good. So we have to make ourselves ready. Ready by discovering his beauty, his emotions. Ready by waiting with him, on him. Turn to Psalm 27, verse 4. Psalm 
Now, every time I do Psalm 27, verse 4, I'm always thinking, one thing I will do, King David, one thing conference in Kansas City with 35,000, one thing, one thing, one thing, one thing. But Psalm 27 has more verses. (laughs) And today I was looking at it going, hey, probably Psalm 27, 4 is in there to gaze on his beauty so that we actually end up at verse 14 to wait on the Lord. Oh, I want your beauty. Jesus, show me your name. Touch my emotions. Heal my heart. He goes, I will. Because you're going to have to wait. I'm going to prepare you. It says this, verse 14, Psalm 27. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. And he will strengthen your heart. Why? So that you can wait on the Lord. Wait a minute. Wait. Courage. I like that. Strength, I like that. Let's get on to blessing. No, wait, courage, strength, so that you can wait. Again, no. I don't, I'm in disagreement with that. I'm just sharing in my own heart. If you break it down, that's what goes on in our hearts because we go, wait on the Lord. Yeah, let's wait. And then the good stuff's going to come. And we're really not even sure what the good stuff is most of the time. We just know we want some pressure lifted off of us so that we can not feel something and be happier. That's kind of how it is. That's how I live some days. Well, if I just wasn't going through this, I'd be happier. Isn't that the deal? I mean, what makes me happy? A million dollars could make me happy. God could do that tonight. There's so many things that would just make me happy. Everybody like me. More friends. More food. Less weight. So many things can make me happy. The Lord's like, that doesn't make you happy. Those are just external things. Wait on me. Prepare yourself. I'm about to preach my name to the earth. And I'm including you in the process. So prepare your heart, prepare your life, discover my beauty, discover my name. Don't be passive about it. And days that you are passive, lock back in with me. There's so many days that I'm passive on this. So many days I go, Lord, what am I doing? What am I doing today? I can't read Psalm 27, 4 again. One thing, one thing. Isn't there three things? Why are other people doing five things? I want to do five things, not one thing, because you do one thing. They get to do five. You do one. Okay, okay. Every time I tell Leslie, I want to do five things. She goes, no, you don't. You'd be miserable. Do one thing. God invites us. By grace, into waiting. If God was going to do what he wanted to do in an instant with us, you have no need of being strengthened. You have no need of courage. 
You and I don't need courage for a quick thing. If you're waiting on something in your family, your marriage, your kids, your finances, your business, all the stuff that is important to us and that God cares about, you don't need courage for something that comes quick. You need courage for something that has got some duration to it. But the key to it is it's God's favor and grace that invites us in to waiting with him. We participate with the grace of God in waiting because it's what matures us. And we're not programmed to wait. We're just, we're not programmed. Everything we do is pretty quick and everything's available to us really fast. I think this is highlighted in a chapter in the book of Leviticus, chapter 8. It's a story about the priests are preparing the sacrifice and they're doing all the sacrifice. And in that day, Old Testament, everybody was watching the sacrifice. Like, if the priests were up here doing the sacrifice, everybody was watching it happen. But at the end of the sacrifice in Leviticus chapter 8, after they do the burnt offering and they're offering up the sacrifice to the Lord, the Lord says to the priests, he says, now wait seven days. Wait a minute, we just sacrificed. He says, now the real consecration begins. Now you wait. This is essential in the economy of God, waiting. It's essential in our economy with him because he wants nothing done by our flesh. Waiting with no strings attached where we're not requiring him to do something. Now, none of us would ever say, God, you better do this or else. Or we might, who knows where we're at one day. But I think we have a wrong definition of what it means to wait. Waiting is terrible. Who likes to go anywhere and wait? Right? I hate going. I was at Magic Mountain a couple months ago. (laughs) It's terrible. That place is bad. It's only my addiction to roller coasters that I would wait for three hours. Yeah, I did, Dumbly. I waited three hours. Right? You want to take me out back and beat me? I waited three hours to ride some roller coaster that was awesome. I mean, I came off dizzy. It was so great. Anyway, it was awesome. Three hours. And this is the killer. You know what it's like. You're in line, and here come all these teenagers going by you. And and it's literally, you're like this, going, here they come by you. And, you know, they go through the, the, and they're all the way up with their friend up there. And I'm like, I'm so ticked at those teenagers right now. I'm taking them out. I'm calling security. I'm getting on this roller coaster before I am. Selfish little teenagers. Hey, get in the back. And the Lord's like, You are terrible at waiting. Yes. But Lord, would you help me? Yes. Because waiting is where you grow up. Waiting, Jim, is where you won't do things by the flesh. I can't have your flesh doing stuff. And if I'm honest, my flesh can pull off a lot of good stuff for the Lord. 
we can. And he's like, that's not true priestliness. Even Jesus himself, the great high priest, he waited to heal, to raise Lazarus from the dead. Do you know that? The great high priest who loved Lazarus and his sisters, and he goes, I'm not doing it right now. We're waiting a couple days. What? The great high priest himself waited. Waiting's not bad. Waiting reveals how discontent we are with God at times. <laughs> ah, yeah. Man, I don't want to admit that. But it's true. When I wait, I go, I'm just not content with you. He goes, I know. Before we're born again, every one of us, before the Spirit of God came to live inside of you, you did everything by the flesh. You did everything by the flesh. It was a knee-jerk response to everything. And as we grow up in the Lord, through the grace of God, we're learning to not knee-jerk. We're learning not to do everything by the flesh. But I want to set you at ease. It's the battle that you fight. This doesn't go poof away. Jesus came to live inside of you to break the curse of sin and the demand that was upon you and the weight of sin that we would sit in judgment under him. That's what he came to do. But while we're walking out with him as followers of Christ, his spirit's in us to make us like his son, to conform us into his image. Paul said, I want you to be conformed into the image. That didn't happen at salvation. That happens as we live out our salvation. I get to get conformed into the image of Jesus when I'm angry that the fork doesn't go in the dishwasher, something as petty as that, and I choose the, the spirit of God in me to go, it doesn't matter, I'm choosing God today. Father, forgive me. I want your spirit in me and, and choose to love. That's being a follower of Christ, wrestling. Enjoy the wrestling. It's much better than not. I know what my flesh will do if I'm not wrestling. Eh, whatever, I don't care. I see that come out of me some days. I'm like, I don't care. Doesn't, I, don't, I don't care about that. And I'm just, I'm not wrestling at all. I'm not engaged at all with the Lord in that. He's like, I want to change you. I've given you grace. I've got favor upon your life to enter into this with me. God speaks to Moses in Exodus 34. He says, in the morning, be ready. God could have shown him his glory when he first asked. But I think a principle in this is that what God wants to do with you and with all of us, he's not willing to lose our heart if he extends blessing, if it blows us up. He loves you way too much. He will not... Because when his glory comes, I mean, I don't know what I mean. <laughs> I, I don't. 
I don't know what I mean. I, I know there's pl- I don't know what I mean when his glory comes. But it's probably got something to do with nobody's getting up off the floor. Um, I'm not ready for that tonight. You might be. I'm not. Because that means he's, he's displaying something of his nature that is far beyond anything we've ever seen or heard. We're believing for it. And we're promised it. It's not that it's not going to happen. But he's like, I will not lose your heart. I want you with me. You mean that much to me that I will call you to wait and make yourself ready. No one is on God's back burner in life. In fact, God doesn't have a back burner. Now, try to get that in your mind. (laughs) Everybody's on the front burner with God. He's paying attention to everybody. Turning the heat up, turning it down. Mixing you up, pouring water in it. Pepper. Ketchup. Salsa. Nobody's on the back burner. And when we think about waiting, we often think, I don't want to be on the back burner. I'm always on the back burner. See, that's what comes up in our heart. I'm always on the back burner. It's what you do with me, God. He's like, wait a minute. You have need of glory, my personality, my beauty over your heart to know you're not on my back burner. Nobody's on the back burner. But we look around at each other and we go, they're on the front burner, like blowing it up all the time. I want to be on the front burner. I'm always on the back burner, God. It's kind of where you got me. I guess I'll just live with it. (laughs) I'm just going to hunker down in this thing called being on the back burner. It's a good country song. But that becomes a false identity. Becomes idolatry. Because then we're saying something about God that isn't true. That's what idolatry is. We're lashing out at his character. When we say I'm on the back burner, he's like, back burner. Jesus put on flesh for you. He had thorns going right into his brain practically for you. Back burner? No. You're never on the back burner. I'm teaching you to wait because in the waiting you get me. That's what makes you happy. (laughs) But Lord, are you sure the money won't make me happy? But Lord, are you sure the 
more anointing won't make me happy because then I can do a little bit more for you. Because that's what it's about, me doing for you. Wait a minute, wait, no. Wait. Jesus, we need corporate deliverance. Everything he's done, he does is surrounded by a rainbow of mercy to get at our hearts, to get the real thing going on so we can get into that conversation and go, I just want to know your name. Our prayer room last eight years has been phenomenal. We're in a different season right now. It's where I'm kind of living with this. I'm constantly looking at this whole idea of waiting. And I'm fidgeting and my flesh is burning. And I'm like, no. And I wake up some mornings and go, what? No, what? All kinds of things. I would have wrote the story completely different eight years ago. Anybody would have written your story different two years ago, five years ago? We all would have. But the Lord says, I want you to wait. Be ready. Because I'm about ready. I'm getting close to preaching my own name to the earth. And I want you a part of that. I want you to be with me in that. He doesn't have a back burner, but he's making us ready for the moment that he's ready to do whatever he wants to do in your life, corporately, the body of Christ, individually. So in the waiting process, which can be difficult at times. How do we live? We live now knowing that he's pleased the entire way. Not when the game's over. That's the only way I'm going to wait. I wait as a priest with no strings attached, God, if I wait, you'll do this. No more of that. No. I don't want to live that way. No more. If I do this, you'll do that. I want to live knowing that you're happy and pleased the entire way. That's what sustains me in the waiting. And that goes deeper than just saying it, declaring it, confessing it. We have to do that. But as it begins to have its work in our life, we have to live by that. Psalm 130, and I want to, two, two more verses, and then we're going to pray. Psalm 130. Verse 5, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits and in his word, I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. Verse 7. O Israel, hope in the Lord. That's what the psalmist is saying. Everybody, let's get on the same team. O Israel, hope in the Lord. Now, there's a Bible verse that says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And it's a very positive verse, but sometimes we can spin it, and it's almost like, 
I've just had hope deferred for so long, I'm giving up. <laughs> and a lot of people live that way. And I got Bible on it. <laughs> hope deferred makes the heart sick. I'm sick. No more hope. <laughs> <laughs> and we're okay because we get Bible verses on it. We got addresses, you know. We have to engage with hope. Our proper response is to engage with hope. I love hope. Anybody named Hope in here? I love hope. I love Leslie. <laughs> but if you just think about hope, it makes you hopeful. <laughs> it really does. If you think about hope, it makes you hopeful. And you got to engage your heart with hope. We have all kinds of permission to do that. Look at Psalm 131 right after that one. There's such a great progression here about waiting on the Lord. Lord, my heart is not haughty. That's what happens when we're waiting on the Lord. My eyes are not lofty, and I'm not concerning myself with great matters. I'm just relaxed. I'm not concerning myself with things that just are above my pay grade. But here's what I've done. Oh, I've calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. How does that happen? Waiting. We engage with hope and then we engage with the Lord to calm our soul and to be quiet. You know what babies are like when they're not weaned? And mom shows up in the room and they haven't ate for a while. <laughs> Flesh all over the place. It's a natural thing. Give me food. They're not quiet. But the Bible says we can quiet our soul and calm ourselves so that we can live with the Lord that way, knowing that he's got us. Habakkuk 3.19 says... He makes my feet like the feet of deer. When there's no strength in the stall, no cattle, no oxen in the stall, and the fig tree is not blossoming, I will rejoice in the Lord. What did he learn? What did the prophet Habakkuk learn? That I will, will wait on the Lord to do what he wants to do. I will wait because that's how I grow up in him. Story I read several years ago about a missionary family staying at a lake house owned by a friend. They had three children. They're all playing out in the lawn. It was on a lake. And the, young, the youngest was their son. He was out there playing on the dock out by the lake. And running around on the dock, it landed him in the, in the water that was eight feet deep in that portion of the lake. His dad came running out, diving into the water, unable to find the boy at first. He dove back in and he found his son clinging to a pier under the water. He brought the boy up to the surface safely and he asked his son, Billy, what were you doing down there? And the little boy replied, just waiting on you, dad. Just waiting on you. Father, 
are so grateful for your presence here tonight. We're so grateful for the plan that you have for every one of us in this room. And Lord, I ask tonight that you would mark our hearts with a, a, a personal vision to discover your beauty, a personal vision to enter into waiting so that we can be ready for what you want to do in our lives personally, those personal promises that we hold on to, and for those things corporately that we hold on to. I ask tonight for your glory to touch our hearts as much as you want to. We know that there's so much more available to us, and yet we don't live as paupers. We're sons and daughters, and we ask for it tonight. And I just want to encourage some of you, I, even thinking this afternoon, I thought, Lord, there's probably so many people that feel like they've been waiting. Waiting, waiting, waiting. And almost this message could be like, I don't even want to hear this tonight. And the Lord spoke this scripture to my heart for us that have been waiting. Isaiah 42. He, Jesus, will bring forth justice. He won't cry out or raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. And a bruised reed he will not break. And a smoking flax he will not quench. But he will bring forth justice. He will not fail, nor be discouraged until he has established justice in the earth. Some of us, when we feel like we've been waiting, feel like we've been on the back burner, the Lord says, I see your condition. And that's even a bad word. It's not a condition. It's just the human heart. <laughs> Nobody has conditions. We just have humanity. that's being made whole. But he says, I see you but I will not bruise you more than what you feel tonight. I will not be discouraged about what I'm doing in your life, and I will not fail you. And I feel like that's the word of the Lord, specifically for some folks tonight that would hear this message and go, I don't want to wait anymore. He will not fail. He will not be discouraged. He will do what he promised. Stand together tonight, would you, Todd? you come to the keyboard and if you have the whole worship team that's great and parents you need to get your children I want to pray for us tonight just as the worship team comes up and then just and, and um, I would just would like to make available time for ministry for people that just want to be encouraged tonight in this. So as parents are moving to get their kids, as Todd begins just to lead us, go ahead, Todd, I'll just wait on you as you lead us. Just take a moment with the Lord and talk to him about this tonight.
Maybe the Lord's speaking to you about your own, your own life, about discovering who he is, his name, his glory, his beauty. Get a personal vision for it to stop comparing yourself to someone else and, and say, Lord, I'm, I'm going to go after it. I need your help. Or maybe tonight it's about the waiting.